Well, we're going to wrap up a series that we've been in for a few weeks now. We've called this series Untouchables, and it's been kind of a uh, collection of various topics, um, including addiction, talked about politics. We talked about a lot of different things. And we're going to wrap up today by talking about something I have never even broached uh, specifically uh, in all my years of ministry. So I'm kind of excited about jumping into that. Let me just say this, though, before I do. that Starting next Sunday, we're beginning a series on marriage uh, called From This Day Forward. And uh, it's going to be a powerful series to challenge all of us, regardless of how long we've been married. Uh, if you're not married yet, it's going to be a great series for you because it's going to kind of lay down some principles that I think will really be helpful for you. So I want to encourage everybody, uh, plan on being here, uh, invite someone to come with you. Uh, if you are watching online, we hope that you join us there as well. Uh, but then we're also going to be having some groups that will be a part of that. And this is kind of where the power comes when you're able to sit down and talk to other people as well, especially in the area of marriage. I think it would be a, uh, just an awesome thing for you to be a part of. So please keep that in mind. That's beginning next Sunday from this day forward. Uh, but today, let's jump into our topic. And let me just ask you, how many of you guys here today remember Y2K? Y2K. A lot of you remember Y2K. And for those of you who weren't even born back then, or who've forgotten, or maybe you're so old like me, you've almost forgotten that. Uh, what was Y2K? The last half of 1999, if you recall, was basically spent consumed with warnings that when the clock changed at midnight on December the 31st of that year, that the whole world was going to fall apart. All chaos would break out. That our computer-driven world was unprepared for the 2000s, and there's no way that would happen. And, and uh, that was at the time that the word prepper came into common being. Remember that, the word prepper, not the word preppy. Preppy was the 80s, all right? So uh, kind of pull that apart. But it was the prepper that came into common use. Thousands of people were terrified. They sold their homes. They withdrew their savings and their the retirement, many of them did. And they spent that on underground bunkers or maybe remote property in the event of a worldwide financial and social breakdown. Now, obviously, it didn't happen. We were so grateful. We woke up the next morning, and everything was fine, you know. But that prepper mentality is still going strong. In fact, the extremists out there are called doomsday preppers, and, uh, and they stockpile food and weapons and other supplies. They call it BBB, uh, beans, uh, band-aids, and bullets. And there really is a subculture out there, and I don't know if you see this, but it's out there, and it's pretty doggone common. And, and here's the thing. Some Christians get caught up in that as well. A lot of Christians, you know, see that, get tangled up in this, and they, um, they tangle biblical prophecy with fear and current events. Let me give you an example of that. Remember Jim Baker. This is going back a long time before Y2K. Jim Baker, Tammy Baker, televangelist, and all that big mess out there. Well, Jim Baker is now selling survivalist kits with seven years of food, for $2,200, which is not a bad deal if you want to eat MREs for seven years. You know, ever try to MRE, you know what that's about, right? And we call that crazy, don't we? We say that is extreme. That is crazy out there. But you know what? 2020 has been a crazy year so far, hasn't it? 2020 has brought its own crisis of fear along, a virus that we never could have imagined. And, I, you know, we're, we're in the middle of this, but if you could step back to a year ago and I were to tell you, hey, look, this is what's going to happen. You would say, you are insane. There is no way that a, a, a sickness, a virus, is going to cause this kind of, of uh, uh, chaos and, you know, this kind of, of uh, interruption in our life. 
but it really has, hasn't it? And we've seen today even a shortage of items in the grocery, violence and mayhem in the streets of our cities, and a very controversial election. Let's not forget that. It's coming up. It's left a lot of people uneasy, to be honest with you. And that's why I thought, you know what? I just feel like this is a great time to talk about this untouchable subject because while we don't talk about this and, and probably will never talk about it again, hopefully, it's kind of interesting what's going on in our world today. What's going on? We've gotten very, very comfortable being, living in a world where everything is available at our fingertips 24-7. But you know what? This year has reminded us that not everything is certain. Not everything is dependable, is it? Things can change very quickly. You know, we think that a trip to Kroger uh, can, can provide everything that we need or want. But who in the world would expect there to be a shortage on toilet paper? I mean, who would ever have imagined that? Or disinfectant wipes, which you still can't find. You know, I know that there are some people who on their way home from work, they stop every day for, at Kroger or some grocery for the evening meal. Or maybe never cook, we just, we just depend on that. And that's unusual. It's also the most expensive way in the world to, to live. But, but that's okay if you can. But, but what if that wasn't available? What if, that, what if that didn't happen? What if that wasn't possible? You know, we know that there are natural disasters that happen. Remember 2005, we're just going back on memory lane. 2005 in, in Woodford County, you know what happened? The big ice storm. And the power went out for 10 days to two weeks for some people. Uh, it, you know, it, it was very different. We had no electricity. The first two days were fun. We camped out. The third day, we went to my parents. We were done having fun at that point. But we know that severe weather comes, right? In July, years, what was it, a year or so ago, we had that summer storm that, that put things down for a few days as well. What about water contamination? Every now and then we get that, right? What about interrupted supply chains? What about labor strikes? What about more serious things, things we worry about, the collapse of the economy? We worry about that, the collapse of the national debt that just seems to multiply. We worry about failure of the electric grid. You know, we hear about California where they have rolling blackouts, where you get a while, you don't even get to put your air conditioning on, you turn it up to 78, which is kind of high for most of us, kind of hot, and maybe the power just goes off for a while. Or maybe labor strikes, or more seriously, the, you know, the, the issue that, uh, that, that just changes everything we have. Or maybe it's a personal crisis, like a medical emergency. Maybe it's a loss of your primary income in your life. Some of you have experienced that because of the virus and some layoffs or cutbacks. What about death of someone or incapacitation or other just real issues like that? You're going, Randy, I was in such a good mood when, you walk, when I walked in, and now... I'm down, now I'm worried, and I'm, I'm worried, and I'm frustrated, I'm afraid. I don't want to be a fear monger at all. I don't want to be negative, but I want to be a realist. And I know I'm not the first person in the world to wonder, should we be a little more prepared for life sometimes than most of us really are? Now, doomsday prepping is the extreme. I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, but there's another extreme that assumes that nothing will happen. There's another extreme that's pretty naive that says nothing will go wrong. Everything will just work its way out. And I've had people come up lately out of the blue and just ask me with no conversation at all, just ask me, hey, are you guys stocking up a little bit? Are you preparing? Are you uneasy about some things? And I would say, yeah, we really are, unlike I've ever been for the previous part of my life. So I'm going to end this series today by talking about an untouchable topic in many people's conversation about being prepared and by finding the appropriate balance between faith and planning. 
And there is a balance there, and the Bible will give us that. You, you go, so, so far, Randy, you've been totally off Bible. Well, we're going to get in the Bible real deep here in a few minutes, all right? We're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say, because it does speak to this very clearly. So let me give you some basic principles, kind of what God's been speaking to me. Here's what God's been telling me. Number one, trust God first. Trust God above everything else. Being prepared is one thing, but thinking that you can be prepared for everything that could possibly happen, any crisis, and that you don't need God is a big mistake. It's a big mistake. Preparation is wise no matter what, but in excess, preparation can actually undermine our faith and our trust in God's power and providence. You know, prepping is oftentimes motivated by fear and self-preservation and can give us actually a sense, a false sense of security that we got it all taken care of. We've covered all the bases. And how many of us know the moment we think that, we discover another base we didn't even know existed out there, another fear we can have. We can never, ever trust in ourself alone and our own provision and our possessions. They will fail us. We will never, ever be able to trust in a, in a government, any government, to be able to provide everything for us. That is a false concept. You know, today we're hearing a lot about a, a Marxist socialism, that the government meets all of our needs. That has never worked. It's a, it's a dead-end philosophy that's never worked anywhere, not one that we ought to be thinking that the government can, can provide for us. It's wrong for us to live in fear and anxiety and try to prepare for every possible thing that could happen or to fall for every conspiracy theory that's out there. And my goodness, has there ever been a time there were more conspiracy theories and theorists out there telling us what's happening here and there. You know, I think there's some conspiracies going on somewhere, but not everything is a conspiracy, right? We have to trust God first. We have to trust God first. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 about worry and anxiety. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and let your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So Jesus says that worry, anxiety, fear, all those things are just ways that Satan tries to undermine our trust and faith in God. He doesn't want us worrying about every little detail of life. He wants us to trust him above everything else. Later on in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What do we do with our anxiety? What do we do with our worries? We give them to God. We pray and ask God to help meet those needs, and we thank Him for what He has done for us. And that will give us understanding. It will give us peace. See, being a, a Christian means that we release everything, including our worry. We release everything we have to Christ, and we ask Him to care for us and to provide for us. And we admit in this process that we can do nothing to save ourselves. We don't have the resource. We can't save ourselves, first of all. But also, we don't even have the ability to avoid some of the things in life that are, might likely happen to us or affect us or even harm us. But we trust that whatever happens, God is going to see us through. No matter what, God's going to see us through. In fact, because we are Christians, it gives us that hope that the rest of the world doesn't have. And we just 
we cry upon God and we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our, our inability to do anything. And, and on top of that, as Christians, though, we also understand that the very fact that we are Christians may mean that we suffer some very specific attacks or persecution. See, the reality is that Christians are being persecuted all over the world. And we are likely to see that increase. And to be honest with you, we are likely to see that come to our world as well at some point. We would be very naive to think that we would not in America suffer some persecution. Obviously, we've already seen some layers of that, but it could get a whole lot worse. But you know what? Even if we suffer, even if we die, we have nothing to fear because this world is not our home and there is a better place being prepared. There's that word again, being prepared for us and especially understanding in the midst of hard times that our faith needs to become more real, not depending on self, not depending on the government, that we trust God first. So that's the number one principle, trust God first. Secondly, here, here's what God kind of showed me, is you trust God first, but you prepare when you're able. You prepare when you're able. See, while the Bible tells us that we can trust God for everything, the Bible also teaches us to be wise stewards with what we have and to prepare for difficult days that might likely come. How do we know that in the Bible? Well, the Bible has a lot of good examples of that. And I'm going to give you two of them from the book of Genesis. The first one is Noah. We all know the story of Noah, right? God called Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood, and I want you to prepare salvation or a way to save everybody. I want you to prepare an ark, and they gave him the dimensions and all the specifics about this ark. I want you to build this ark, and I want you to, you know, prepare for the animals to come in and prepare to feed them. And so for about a hundred years or so, seemingly, Noah built the ark, and he prepared for this dangerous, devastating flood that was to come. And when the flood came, or before it came, all the animals went in, and, uh, and they were saved. They were preserved. And, uh, and at the same time, Noah preached and tried to get other people to convince them to come and join them on the ark, but only his sons and their wives ended up joining him there. Everyone else was destroyed. Noah prepared because God said, God could have said, there's going to be a flood. Good luck to everybody. I'm sure everybody will be okay. But no, he said, no, there's a way to prepare to save the animals. And then a little bit later in the book of, of uh, Genesis, there was a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph was a young Jewish boy who ended up in an Egyptian prison, no fault of his own. He was uh, exploited and taken advantage of, but he's in prison, and God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And one day, Pharaoh had a dream, a very serious dream, a couple of them, and he sent for Joseph, and Joseph came and told him that the dream meant that there was going to be a famine a seven-year famine that would be preceded by seven years of prosperity. And he said, during the years of prosperity, I want you to build warehouses and, and, and provide grain so that when the famine comes, people can be saved. And by doing so, he followed God's plan and he fed the entire country. That's a great example of preparing for a crisis that was to come. And God gave him the warning and gave him wisdom to be able to do that. And then there's the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 6. That, that says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. You know, a lot of people don't have the sense that God gave an ant when you think about it. Because God said to the ant, I want you to just do this, and it's just natural. Nobody tells them to do it. Nobody commands the ants uh, to, to pr prepare but they do that during the summer, and then in the winter, they're 
deep in the ground, and they're munching all this stuff that they've saved up, whatever ants eat, you know? So a lot of people don't understand even that wisdom that God gave an ant. And then Proverbs says, look at the ant. Consider its ways. Be wise. Be like an ant. Here's what it says. When things are good, we need to put some aside for when things may not be as good. And a lot of people just don't get that. A lot of people spend everything they have while they're working with no thought of retirement or no thought of getting older when they can't work. I was looking at some statistics the other day. 21% of Americans have no retirement savings at all. 21%. 33% of, of baby boomers have between zero and $25,000 of retirement savings. So a fourth of all boomers, or a third of all boomers, have less than $25,000 to retire on. 75% of Americans reported a lack of confidence in receiving Social Security benefits. 46% admitted to having no, taken no steps to prepare for the likelihood that they could outlive their retirement. Now what that tells us basically is that a lot of people are just not preparing for the future at all. Proverbs chapter 21 says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. And we're living in a world seemingly that consumes everything immediately as soon as we get it. Not prepared for the future. I think just being prepared is really just common sense that our culture is largely ignoring for the most part. And I think back in the past, I think back even when I was growing up, that most people grew the majority of the food that they ate. We had a huge garden. We complained about it, but we sure enjoyed eating it. I remember that. And, and most of the time, they provided most of their own needs just personally. And, and if they didn't have everything, they adapted their diet. I remember that we ate a lot of beans growing up. We thought they were great, but I, I, now I know this because they were cheap as well. But all we had beans seemed like a, 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 at least once a day, uh, and, and they were great. But we adopted our diet, or we adapt our lifestyle accordingly. So they had to think about, they had to think about what would happen uh, tomorrow and think of the future and plan for every possibility. Today, to be honest with you, we're kind of spoiled and we assume that we can get whatever we need at a moment's notice. I mean, we live eight miles out in the county, but if we're out of something, I just run into town and get it real quick. You know, that's kind of silly to think about it, but, but we're not always prepared. But what if we couldn't do that? What if we couldn't do that? What if we didn't have that kind of convenience? You know, let me give you an example of that. Uh, down the road, we have what I believe is the largest grocery store, largest Kroger in Kentucky, which is awesome. Great. It's a great place to shop. It's a great place to see everybody, too. But right down the road is Kroger, and it's just filled with food. And one would assume, you know, that food would last for a long, long time. But what I discovered is that Kroger is stocked with food for 36 to 72 hours. 72 hours, three days, the max, pretty much. Now, there would be a lot of other stuff left, but nobody really wants to eat beets and parsnips and stuff like that, right? You know, all the good stuff, you know, is going to be taken out pretty, uh, pretty quick. It's on a rotating basis, right? So, so they receive about 25 semis a day, which is overwhelming. 25 semis a day to keep food on the shelves, to keep that happening. So what would happen if something, whether a break in the supply chain, some other crisis interrupted that supply of 25 trucks? What would happen if that happened? Or, or maybe just people just thought it was going to be interrupted. Anybody ever been in the grocery store the day before a storm is supposed to come, a snowstorm? A snowstorm being an inch or two in, in central Kentucky. 
But when that storm is coming, man, I mean, all the bread and milk's off the shelves. People just clean out stuff because there's a fear of what might be happening there. And, and who among us wasn't in the grocery in this large store this spring looking for certain items that they weren't available? Is it, is it wrong to be prepared? Is it wrong to be wise about that? Could you personally weather a prolonged illness that kept you from working? Or could you weather the loss of your income by furlough or, or release? What about a weather emergency with no electricity? Do you have any cash on hand in case your bank was closed, your account got hacked? Do you, do you have any margin in your finances or are you so deeply in debt that it would all come falling down like a house of cards if something happened? So all I'm just saying is while our trust is in God first, we are to use common sense that God's given us to prepare when we're able. Prepare whenever we're able. You know, while uh, today planning for emergency seems weird or extreme, it really does. If, if you tell people, yeah, we're stocking up some things, they're like, why? That's, that's odd. You know, and they just look at you really weird. The Bible talks about wise people who understand the times. That's an amazing phrase. They who understand the times, meaning they were aware of what was going on and what made wise, and made wise decisions accordingly. Are you a person who are aware or understanding of the times? Now, let me just say this. Preparing when you're able doesn't mean you go crazy. Doesn't mean you hoard. It could mean buying a few extra groceries every now and have some stocked up. It could mean grabbing an extra case of water. It could mean saving a little cash on hand. Have an emergency plan. Talk to your neighbors about helping one another out if they're in need. Think what you would do if your power was out. Get out of debt. Be adequately insured. Get healthy physically. You know, a, a lot of times people who, who are, are not healthy physically are not able to fight off an illness. This, this virus has attacked certain people because of their, their health, their lifestyle, more severely than others. Prepare mentally for the fact that this world might bring some difficult times and that we need to do all that we can to face them. At the same time, putting our trust and faith in God. When crisis comes, we don't want to be on the ground in a fetal position crying. We want to be mentally strong and prepared, understanding the times, that we are living in hard times. And you know what? You might just find that, uh, that being as prepared as possible and trusting God with all that you have will give you a new kind of peace and will take away some of the fear and anxiety that our world is prone to experience. Now, here's the third thing that, that really relates to me or connects with me, and that is we need to be able to help others, to help others. Doomsday preppers have one thing in mind, self-preservation. That's their goal. But as Christians, we can't head for the hills. We can't adopt a, a fortress mentality. We can't stockpile food and weapons, believing that everybody's against us and paranoid, you know, and we're shutting everything down. We can't do that. We have to be careful that we don't become hoarders on one hand and that we don't think about the needs of others. So part of our planning should include the needs of other people who may be in need as well. And that necessitates, I think, that we're able to care for ourselves so that we're able to help others. And that's what kind of God has put in my mind. Be able to care for yourself so that you're able to help others. If I'm desperately trying to figure out what I'm going to do next, then I'm not going to be able to help the person who has a genuine need out there. And I think the Bible teaches us to have that heart. Galatians chapter 6 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, the Bible teaches that we have a special 
obligation, blessing to be able to help those who are part of God's family, especially to the family of believers. You know, I, my heart, I have a pastor's heart, and my heart is I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to help people in our church who may be in need. Our deacons want to be able to help that. I'm so proud of our church and that this time uh, back when we encouraged people to give uh, to a special deacon fund from their stimulus checks, if they wanted to do that, to tie those, uh, there was over $5,000 given to that fund. And that's available for people who are in desperate need. Why? Because we all have need at some time, and we ought to be able to help the family of God. We do that. But also, even beyond the family of God, even be those who are not believers, crisis is a great time to be a blessing to the people who are struggling, or maybe just to encourage and shine the light of Jesus by reaching out to those who do not know him. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, and they may mean addressing their immediate need. And we need to be able to do that if that crisis came. So if your crisis came, would you be equipped to care for yourself, and would you be able to help somebody else? Would you be able to help others? You know, I think the right attitude that we ought to have is that we should be prepared, and then we should be able to offer up what we have to the Lord to share with other people and do what God sees fit by bringing people into our life. I believe that if we are equipped, God will bring people who are genuinely in need in our, into our life. And that way, our awareness becomes a ministry and a heavenly rescue mission for those who may not know who Jesus is. And by the way, you don't have to wait for a crisis for that to happen. If we just live life with our eyes open and sensitive to people who are in need around us, we'll see them all the time. You know, I mentioned Joseph earlier, and Joseph preparing uh, for the famine that was coming. Joseph prepared because he had insight and wisdom, and when the need came, the people around him, the people of Egypt, they came to be cared for. But not only were they cared for, but also he was able to send for his family up in Israel, uh, Judea. They were having their own crisis, their own famine, and they came down, and he was able to save them. But also, they were able to help people in other countries as well, neighboring countries who were starving because they were prepared. They could care for themselves, but were able to help others as well. And that's what all of our actions should accomplish, that we bring glory to God by what we have and what he's blessed us with and how we can be prepared for anything. Well, let me wrap this up by saying that there's one other area of preparation that we need not to ignore. And this is the most important one. In fact, I've saved this one for last, and that is spiritual preparation. It is spiritual preparation. So here's, here's the principle for that. Be ready to meet God. Be ready to meet God. You know, we can have all the other bases covered, to be honest with you. We can have a bug-out bag sitting at the door. We can have the beans, the band-aids, and bullets. We can have all that stuff. We can have finances saved up. We can have escape plan ready and not be prepared for the greatest crisis that we will ever face. And that is death or the return of our Lord. Because on that great day, nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. And it's not if, it's when. It's not if, it's when, because it's going to happen for all of us. And a lot of people are, are, are totally unprepared for the Lord's return because we're living life only in the moment, and we're never thinking about what the future might hold, and the future will hold an end time for all of us. We all are going to die at some point. Are you prepared to meet the Lord if that moment came today? It's the most important question of all. Because many people are not prepared and giving it no thought, even though they have the opportunity. 
Listen to the parable that Jesus told. Jesus said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough oil for both of us, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later on, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Now, this was just one of many parables that Jesus told, and, and it kind of went with the custom of that day where the, the virgins would wait with the bride and they never knew exactly when the bridegroom was going to come and take them into the wedding feast. But the point was to always be ready no matter what. And it says that while they were waiting, many of them fell asleep, and they were careless about preparation. But when the bridegroom came, they were unprepared, and they were not able to go into the wedding feast, a warning about being lost and unprepared for death. You know, being spiritually prepared supersedes everything else that we've talked about. We could throw everything else away and just say this is the most important thing for the whole day. The Bible teaches us that we're living in the last days. All the prophecies that need to be fulfilled for Jesus to come, they've already been fulfilled. Nothing else has to happen. His coming could be any moment. I don't think that this day is unique in that. We've been living in the last days since Jesus returned to heaven, but but we can't get careless, and we can't say, well, it hasn't happened yet. It won't happen, because the longer it is, the more likely it is to happen any day. And we must be prepared for that. And we're waiting for God's timing, and one day, with no further notice, Jesus will return. And the question is, are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared? If you are not prepared for that, or you don't even know how to start, I would love to have a conversation with you about this. I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is and his plan for your life. And you can get in touch with me any way to do that or catch me after the service or whatever because that's the most important thing. Guys, if you don't know, don't see it, I'm a little passionate about this. This is what we're all about as a church, to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you about your next step with him.